Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Duke Rivard. Today we've got a great episode with Jared Pickney. Perhaps you're familiar from Jared's previous episodes with Brad Watson. He's a longtime contributor to the Saturate Podcast. Uh, Jared and I are going to talk about what to measure while on the mission. Uh, perhaps you've heard it said, uh, people work on what you measure and people duplicate what you celebrate. And it's really true. You know, as, as you develop a scorecard in your ministry, you're going to give clarity to all those around you as to what is most important. In some cases, we're not measuring anything. In other cases, maybe we're measuring the wrong things. We really want to talk about measuring the right things, which really align with the Great Commission and the mission that Jesus has given us and really holding disciples accountable for working on the things that result in disciples being made in the world and greater fruitfulness in our mission. So with that said, let's jump in on this important conversation on what to measure while on the mission. Jared is the pastor of the Crossing Church in Paragould, Arkansas. Uh, he's a great friend, and so I'm just excited, Jared, to welcome you back to the Saturate Podcast. Thanks, man. It's great to be back. I have a little bit more gray hair than I did back whenever I was originally on this with Brad, but uh, things are going well here in Arkansas, and I'm glad to be able to talk about missional metrics with a former Arkansas boy. Yeah, that is our connection that you and Brad didn't have. So, yeah, for the listeners, we're both uh, native Arkansans, so we, we have a deep soul connection around all things uh, hog football and yeah, Arkansas culture, which is is pretty unique and uh, amazing. So, yeah, th- love, love that connection. Uh, it's you, you, One thing you will notice immediately, Jared, is I don't smile as much as Brad. You know, you can hear Brad <laughs> smile over the audio on a podcast, and I also don't have red glasses. So you're going to have to just deal with, with those two letdowns uh, all you know here at the front. But I'll do my yeah. best to, to make up for it. Yeah, if uh, I was on a podcast with Brad, he would have already laughed at three jokes that weren't even meant to be jokes. And so <laughs> I would I would already have felt like a million bucks, like I was the funniest man on the planet. Yeah, this is going to be tougher on your, on your ego. I, I apologize. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. My therapist is working with me on ego deflation, so this will be, this will be good for me. Okay, so this is probably providential. This is yeah, this is probably part of it. So I'm not near near as fun, but um, Jared, I'm excited about the conversation because I think what we're going to talk about really matters for the church. It matters all the way down to the most basic units of discipleship. It matters for all kinds of leaders uh, who are committed to Jesus and His mission to make disciples. And so today we're going to be talking about what do we measure while we're on the mission. And uh, I wanted to have you on because I know this is something that I just I watch you in action and I see as a real strength at, of your leadership and a strength at the Crossing Church. And so, yeah, I just wanted to, to pick your brain today on uh, what do you measure and why and, and some of the implications of that uh, for your church. Uh, so, yeah, let's just jump right in. And uh, first, let's talk about the why. Uh, why do we measure things in the church? Why is it important? Yeah, well, I believe that if it can be measured and watched, then it can be improved. And so if you, you know, just, I guess, think about it like this. Imagine you know, you're in a small plane flying over the Atlantic ocean, you're halfway across and uh, your pilot announces, all right, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. The bad news is that the gauges aren't working. So we're hopelessly lost. Like I have no idea how fast we're flying or what direction we're going. I don't know how much fuel we have left. But the good news is we're making great timing. 
right? Like on the one hand, like you're going to admire the pilot's optimism, but on the other hand, you're going to be freaking out a little bit. And, and because, I mean, like the pilot doesn't know, like he doesn't have a way of measuring like, you know, what he needs to measure in order to get you where you need to go. And so it's really the same way when it comes to ministry. And I think all of life, like if you can't measure what needs to be measured, you're going to end up someplace you don't want to be. So to me, that's why measuring things are so important. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, and you kind of alluded to this second part, but what happens when we don't measure? Let's say that we're all well-meaning Christians and we want to be positive and we just say, hey, let's do a bunch of positive activity, but let's not really come back around and measure it. Uh, what are what are some of the implications of, of that approach? Yeah, well, not only are you not going to get to where you want to be, most likely. But I think there are several of the things that happen. Is is one, I think, um, just what you're doing becomes very murky. And so, you know, for example, um, especially when it comes to communication, like let's say, and I know there's a lot of pastors and ministry leaders that are listening to this. Let's say you're going to someone within the ministry and you're asking them, how is their specific area of ministry going? Well, if you don't have a way of really measuring the right things, the chances are the person you're talking to is going to say, oh, well, things are going great. Well, great's a subjective term, mm-hmm. right? But when you're measuring something uh, and you're using numbers, it helps give everyone a much clearer picture of how the ministry is actually doing. Mm-hmm. So I think apart from really measuring something, it gets very murky, very quick. Um, I think apart from measuring, you, uh, you have a real lack of accountability, um, you know, when you set a, a number or whenever you begin to measure something, like everyone knows what the expectation is. Mm-hmm. And so account- accountability really begins with clear expectations and nothing to me at least is, is more clear than a number. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know Duke, we'll talk more about this later, but if, you know, a church's expectation is, well, we want to have more gospel conversations. Mm-hmm. That's unclear. But if the goal is to have, say, a thousand gospel conversations before the end of the year, well, that's a clear expectation. And mm-hmm. that helps create, create, therefore, clear accountability. So if you don't have, you know, if you're not really measuring the right things, you're going to have a lack of accountability. I think just a couple more things that come to my mind is, um, you know, if you're not measuring the things around you, you're not going to get the results. And we kind of hit on that a little bit that you want to get. And so, you know, there's been a lot of work done around this, but if you have a goal that is specific and measurable and attainable and relevant and time sensitive, you're a lot more likely to hit that goal. And so, for example, if a person says, you know, I want to lose weight and that's all they say, they're going to be unlikely to lose weight. But if they say, I want to lose 15 pounds in the next six months, they have tremendously increased their odds of hitting that target weight. Um, and I think the same is true when it comes to the church. Um, you know, if we will set goals that can be measured, say, you know, gospel conversations, um, you've got a lot more likelihood of hitting that. And so um, lastly, what I would say is whenever you're measuring things um, or if you if you don't measure the right things, it's going to create disunity because it, you're not going to have people all rolling together in the same direction. They're not even going to really know what it is they're all working towards. But you give a clear, measurable go, it unifies the church, I think in a way that if you don't, so that's just a few things that come to my mind. Yeah, no, that's huge. Yeah. One, one thing you, you hit there was that, you know, you're really helping people have expectations, which, uh, you know, leads to unity and used to leads to even actionable 
next steps. Now I know exactly what I would have to do to use your, your kind of lose 15 pounds example. Uh, Brene Brown says it this way. She says, clarity is kindness. So even it's, it's, it's actually kind as a leader to let somebody know what, what we're working towards, you know, not, not them have to constantly uh, guess, am I doing well? Or, you know, it's almost like playing a a sport without a scoreboard, you know, it's like how, how frustrated would it be to, not know if you're winning, you're losing, not know even what's happening really uh, because the score is not clear as you, as you go along. Uh, so yeah, yeah, just think of that. Yeah, people lose interest. I, I think we've both read the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, and mm-hmm. he uses the example in there of whenever Hurricane Katrina came through and it wiped away obviously so much of the town of New Orleans. And whenever the, the first high school kind of decided to play a football game after Katrina, they didn't have the scoreboard. And it's at the beginning of the game, people were pumped. They were so excited because, all right, football was back. But like 20 minutes into the game, everyone had completely lost interest. And they were talking mm-hmm. and they were, you know, amongst themselves. They weren't watching what was happening in the field. And said it was because the scoreboard had been blown down. So nobody knew what time it was. Nobody knew who was winning, what down, how many yards they had to go. And so, yeah, it's very important to have some sort of clear way of measuring. And I do think that expectation piece is huge. Um, you know, we just had our basics class yesterday. It's our, our, our kind of a prerequisite if you want to become a member of our church you have to go through basics and we used to make it a almost a day-long class that went through all of just this content about theology and our philosophy of ministry and and now we have reduced it to about an hour and a half class and all we talk about is expectations so here's what you can expect from us as your leaders as your pastors and here's what we expect from one another as members and um the whole purpose of that is like Brene Brown said, we think expectations, when you give that to people, it's it's kind, right? It lets them know, like, here is where we're going so that you can decide for yourself if this is something you want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also kind of preempts some unnecessary conflict <laughs> where if you leave things murky, people have totally different understandings of what they're even working on or whatever, what it's going to be like, in your case, to be a part of this church, that kind of thing. And, and you find out later that you guys were working on totally different things or, or a totally different uh, expectations, which leads to conflict that probably could have been avoided if we just said, hey, this is what we're about and this is what we're going to keep doing as a church and the things we're going to measure and, and and here's why. Yeah, so love that. Uh, we know, um, you know that people work on what you measure, that people duplicate what you celebrate, uh, but how do we know if we're measuring the right things? So in other words, we can, we can measure the wrong things and I've, I've often heard you know, some of the measurements I hear in the church and, and, I, and one organization was telling me, Hey, you know, these, these measurements are, aren't, they don't really depend on your ecclesiology. But as I listen to the measures, I'm like, man, that's a pretty baked in ecclesiology based on what you're measuring. And so mm-hmm. we know that there's a biblical theological frame for, for the, what the church is and what the church should be in the world. According to the scripture, uh, there's also local contextual concerns and other, you know, our cultural time and place and things that, factor in, but how do we go about making sure we're measuring the right things? Well, I think you have to start with knowing why you exist as a church and what the win is. Um, I think you have to be very careful. If, if you don't start there, you're going to measure, um, you're going to measure your strategies or you're going to like measure your structures that are in place to help you reach kind of the goal. And I think you have to be very careful not to do that. And so Start with why you exist as a church. Like, what is your purpose? What are you passionate about? Why do you do what it is that you're doing? Like, what is the win? Uh, Look down the road, three to five years or 10 years, and ask yourself, where do we want to be? Like, what do we hope God accomplishes? 
through this ministry or through this church over the next yeah, three to five to 10 years, and then just begin to work backwards and say, okay, how are we going to get there? And obviously there are, you know, some things that we can't control, but there are some things we can control. And those things that we can control, let's try to, you know, put a strategy in place with the right processes in place. And then let's from there decide, okay, like let's, let's use a scoreboard again as the, uh, as the example, since we brought that up all ago, what are the numbers on the scoreboard? Like what numbers need to be up there? What categories need to be up there that tell us whether or not we are winning mm-hmm. to use a sports, you know, phrase like, like what, yeah, what categories, what numbers are going to show us? Like if we are moving from where we are to where we actually want to be. Yeah. So I think that's where you have to start. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, I remember you sharing a story about your lawn, Jared, a couple couple years back, and uh, it was really insightful. Uh, maybe walk us through kind of how you discovered some of the wrong activities, the right activities, and what it looked like for you to to kind of course correct as you realize, hey, I might be working on the wrong thing and and need a little bit more of a of a clarity and accountability to, to see it through. Well, yeah, I mean. You know, Duke, we were talking about this earlier before we pushed record, and, and you know, you know that I, I care a lot about my yard. One of the reasons I love doing yard work is as opposed to doing pastoral work, a lot of times you can see your results. Like, you go and you mow your yard, you're like, look what I did. Like, I could see results. Um, and so, you know, my wife and I, we'd bought this house, and the yard was awful. And so we tilled it up, as we were told to do, from a sod farmer here in town, um, we sprayed it with Roundup to kill all the weeds that we didn't want in there. And then we went and bought this zoysia sod, which is like the Cadillac of all grasses. We threw it down on our, uh, yard and it looked great. I mean, it was like, you know, as a, as a type three on the Enneagram, it was, uh, it was totally hitting into my shadow side, which is caring about image and people driving by and being like, look how <laughs> awesome that yard is. And, and so I was certainly finding my identity in it, which is why it probably went South pretty quick, but it looked great. It was lush. It was green. It was vibrant. Like, my family would just like go out there and we'd lay on it. It was awesome. But then just what seemed like from out of nowhere, man, like everything just began to die. I mean, the grass turned brown. It got ugly. It looked like it had leprosy. And I just kept throwing water on it because, you know, it's it's August and you're thinking this thing just needs water. Well, I kept watering. It kept watering. It kept watering. My intentions were great. I was putting a ton of time into it and I was getting so frustrated and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. And eventually I found out that I could test the soil to see what was going on. I test the soil and come to find out there was a fungus. And I remember where it started. It started over by our mailbox. And it started because it had been overwatered. And because I didn't know what was going on, because I didn't have any way of measuring it up until that point, I was putting all of this work into doing the complete opposite of what I needed to do. And it actually expedited this process and spread this fungus throughout my entire yard. And what God kind of, I guess, even showed me in that is when you think about ministry, it is so easy just because we live in a fallen, broken world, right? I think of this, what is it, the second law of thermodynamics that anything left to itself is going to fall apart. The reality is like, it's very easy for a fungus, so to speak, to break out in the church, right? For sin begin to spread or for things just begin to fall apart. And we have to be able to, I think, identify some of these problems or anticipate these problems know where they are, and they know how to put processes in place to ensure that rather than having kind of this fungus that's spreading and kind of killing life, that we have, you know, the right things in place. We have the right accountability structures that allow actions of a fungus to grow, right, for life to begin to spread. So um, that's kind of the idea, I think, Duke, we were talking about with my yard, and I think it certainly applies to ministry as well. 
Yeah. What I love about that illustration is that, yeah, you had the best of intentions to have a fruitful, healthy, vibrant yard, right? It was nothing about your intentions that were wrong. And I think that's true of pastors and leaders everywhere. Like we want to please Jesus. We want to make disciples. We want to be doing the work that he's given us to do and we want to be fruitful. So uh, it's not, not even just about positive intent. It's like doing the right activity monitoring it along the way, keeping an eye on the right activity uh, and seeing it through over time that results in, yeah, in health and growth and fruitfulness. So, yeah, it's, it's super helpful. As, yeah. I, as I'm listening and even thinking through the progression here, it just seems like yeah, there may be some leaders out there who are measuring nothing, right? Like they don't have metrics. They're just they're doing lots of activity. They're getting after it some way. Uh, and, and there may be a movement towards just beginning to measure something. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, you weren't measuring the water uh, for the for the, for the grass type, right, uh, or how much water. And, and that was actually a problem for the fungus. And so then it gets from, okay, let's measure, but now let's measure the right things and, and understand, you know, what has to be measured for this particular thing to thrive. And then, uh, you know, that, that leads to a totally different kind of, of outcome. Uh, and so I even want to share that with leaders. It's like, man, getting started on, on the metrics. And I found this in leading different organizations and leading different teams. Sometimes we start with a hypothesis or a first draft of what we think we should be measuring. And then as you get into it later, you realize, uh, that even your metrics weren't the right thing to start and, and mm-hmm. you amend them over time and you begin to zero in on the things that are most, most important. So uh, yeah. I love, I love the way that. Yeah, and if I can just speak into the importance of metrics and and how it can be good, like, so I think there are so many pastors out there that maybe are discouraged, especially as you've gone through a year like we did in 2020, and, you know, you're doing everything you can, and you just aren't looking at the right things. I mean, if you have the right metrics, it helps you, actually, I think, be able to stay the course longer. And so, you know, there have been times where we have had the wrong metrics, and the difference between the wrong metrics and the right metrics was the difference between me thinking, man, I need to quit as a pastor or thinking like, you know what, we're actually doing really well. Um, and so I, I would just say, yeah, that's another reason, I guess, another layer to why this is so incredibly important. It's not just important for like accomplishing the mission and it's just really good for the church, but this is good for the actual ministry leader to be able to have this. Like it's good for your health. It's good to just come to terms with reality and even if sometimes coming to terms with reality is, is like, oh, man, like we're actually not doing as well as we thought. Well, at least now you know the truth. And it's like that yard. We're like, you know what? Okay, now at least I know what the problem is. It's like going to the doctor, right, and getting some diagnostics. And we got a plan in place. And now we can just kind of push play on this and then trust the results with God. Yeah, I love that. And, and something you brought up there, uh, Jared, was kind of this almost the issue of time as well. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I, leaders, I think, might even have the right metrics, but they don't have a right expectation of how long does it take while working the right strategy to see fruit. You know, and so there's an impatience where they might think, well, this should be instant. You know, like this is a 30 day turnaround. Yep. If I do this for 30 days, I get fruit, right? And it's like, yep. no, actually, you might be working on the right thing. You might have the right metrics. And yet it might take six months, nine months, 18 months, five years in some yes. cases for you to actually see the fruit. But but knowing that you're working on the right thing can be a kind of um, stabilizer 
to, to keep your eye focused on the right activities. You know what I mean? Versus Absolutely. bailing on them because you, you just thought, man, it should be, it should be quicker. Uh, so yeah, I love that you brought the time thing in there as a second variable. So it's like right metrics plus right expectation of how long does it take for a, a yard to turn around? You know, um, it may not be uh, two weeks and, and and yet you were starting to do the right thing with, with watering at least and, and some of your strategies. So uh, yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Uh, well, I'd love to talk about what you measure and why. So at the Crossing Church, I know you guys measure things. I know you have a culture of accountability. I know you want to really be clear and kind about expectations with people and, and where we're going and, and how we're going to get there. Uh, but yeah, maybe walk us through some of the things you guys measure and why. Yeah. So we exist um, for the purpose of, of seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done in Northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven. And we believe the way that's going to happen is as we seek to make resilient disciples who are making more resilient disciples. And the question then becomes for us is, well, how do we make resilient disciples? And this is probably a total side note, but I think that's the job of pastors is to create a culture of spiritual formation where resilient disciples are being made. They're then making more resilient disciples who are making more resilient disciples so that we're seeing God's glory spread throughout the earth. So that's the question, right, is how do we make resilient disciples? And we believe when it comes to that work that God has a work to do and we have a work to do. Um, you know, I think of, of, of Paul's words in Philippians, right? To work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you, right? Well, which one is it? Is it God's work or our work? It's both. Like he has a work to do and we have a work to do. So for us, we really believe, and we took this from, uh, Dallas Willard. Um, but we believe in, in really kind of his spiritual formation paradigm that that's how change happens. And we actually see this in the Sermon on the Mount. We could walk through that if, if anybody ever wanted to do that, just email me. I'd be happy to connect. Um, but we believe change happens through teaching or through truth, um, through practices, and through community. And so those are the things that we're measuring. Um, we're measuring our Sunday attendance because that's like the place. We, I just so happen to believe, and not, maybe not everybody believes this, is that as a pastor, as a teaching pastor of a church, God has given me a specific word for a specific people in a specific time in a specific place. And so um, as good as Matt Chandler is, or John Mark Comer is, or John Tosser, whoever you're listening to, um, I really believe that God knows my people's needs, um, our people's needs, and that he's given me a word for them. And so the Sunday morning is actually very important to us. Um, we want our people showing to that. We believe that is a part of their formation to be there every week, if at all possible. And if right now online is the best you can do, then fine. But we're measuring that. We're measuring our online attendance, and we're measuring our, our in-person attendance. And I know some people maybe that listen to this, that's not what they do, but we think that's important. So we measure that. Um, cause I think it's a part of how we change. Um, we also, uh, launch courses on like, we have a 22, uh, week, how to read the Bible course. It's online right now through our church, um, how to pray marriage courses, um, all these different ways of helping people take the truth and begin to apply it and embody it. And we, we actually have a measuring stick for who's attending those courses and not even just who's attending them and sign up for them, but we also can monitor their progress and see who's completed them. So again, that just helps us whenever someone comes to me and they say like, man, like, you know, I'm just not growing. I'm just, I don't know how to read the Bible, whatever. Where it's like, well, we can look and see like, man, you did, you started, you did like one week of the 22 week, how to read the Bible course. Like, so before I'm just like, start beating my head against the wall and like, how can I help you? Like we've already built something out. And so like, we know who's actually feeding themselves and trying to take ownership for their own growth. And so we measure those things um, because we believe community plays a huge role and who we do or do not become. We track how many people are in a missional communities. 
Uh, we track how many are in our DNAs. And then we, you know, renew our membership every single year. And we do that uh, strategically because it's just a way for us to remind people of the vision, to remind them of like, hey, here's our core values, which we have seven core values. And we're like, hey, here are the things that you're committing to. And then um, just because you remember 2020 doesn't mean you're a member in 2021. So we track our membership. Um, and I could talk how, we, you know, we do that. We track giving because I think it's a great testament. Jesus talked a lot about giving. So, I mean, I could, we could tell you what every single person in our church gives. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's maybe more um, things that we track, but all of those go back to, to, again, to ways that we believe people change in order for them to become resilient disciples. So we can't make resilient disciples ourselves. Like, I mean, we do have a work to do. God has a work to do. But we can track and see, like, man, are they at least in the right environments? Are they at least showing up to the right places? Are they at least taking the food and putting it into their mouth, right? How many people are doing that? And then yeah. from there, that's where we trust God's work to say, okay, yeah. what's he going to do at this point? So, Yeah, Jared, I love that. I love that you you house all of it in kind of the why we exist uh, frame, you know, of making resilient disciples that can make resilient disciples. You know, at the Selma family of churches, you're aware of our kind of missional metrics that we we send a survey out every year to track how the whole Selma family is doing. And we look at core things, but it's all along the line of the Great Commission. So it's just trying to take the Great Commission, break it into component parts that people could actually work on and to see how we do it at each point. Because if you find a, a kind of sticking point, you know, where we're stuck, it's like, OK, well, that's that may be an area where it's not clear or there's not enough resource, or there's not enough emphasis, or it's getting lost somehow. And and uh, and so I'll just walk through those. And we, we talk about soul family. We track gospel conversations. So how many gospel conversations are we having? Yep. We know from Romans, it says, Romans 10, that faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of truth. So people come to, to faith by hearing the gospel proclaimed. So is it being proclaimed? How often? Uh, we track baptisms, uh, which is just how many people have have pass from death to life. And, and, um, you know, and I think adult baptisms is probably a subset of that too, uh, yep. which I think yep. is a really interesting metric to look at in a church to see how well we're reaching into our culture. And then we talk about an intangible measure, which is our disciples growing mature in faith, hope, and love, because it seems to be Paul's metric for sanctification, you know, mature faith, mature hope, mature love with love being kind of the, the penultimate. And those are harder to measure, but still something we want to be finding ways to measure what is what is intangible. And then our new leaders being developed, you know, who can lead new MCs, new DNAs, new worship sets, new deacon responsibilities. I mean, our leaders emerging in every facet of the church to lead uh, and to expand the footprint, the leadership core of the church. And then our new missional communities, you know, being raised up and sent, how many missional communities, which would be a basic unit of mission, and then ultimately new churches, uh, new churches planted and amount of money invested in church planting at large. And so all that's just going all the way from the pagan who's never heard the gospel to a mature new church plant going out, you know, and, and a fullest expression of multiplication. And so that's what we get after. But you mentioned uh, gospel conversations earlier and I, I love the story um, that you shared with me a couple of years ago about what happened when you guys really started to get specific about tracking gospel conversations. Maybe share that with, with our audience. Yeah, so we, I guess it was 2019, um, the year before we had had the fewest baptisms, I think 2018, the fewest baptisms we had had since our church started in 2012. And we had read the 
the books and the statistics about the longer a church exists, the fewer baptisms they tend to have. And so in 2019, we just cast vision. I think it was the second week in January and said, look, we want to be a church um, that sees more baptisms uh, every year, not fewer baptisms because we're growing, right? I mean, our church was, we were getting more and more people. So it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like if we're, if our church is bigger than ever, like, shouldn't we have more baptisms? Shouldn't we see more people coming to Christ? Because we have, you know, at least theoretically, there's more disciples here that are doing mm-hmm. the work of an evangelist. And so it's, um, so we just begin to measure basically gospel conversations. And what we set out for our church is we said, look, we're not going to put a number on baptisms this year because we know that we're not in charge of whether or not someone is truly converted. But what we are going to measure is what we can be responsible for, and that's sharing the gospel with people. And so we set a go to have a gospel conversations with a thousand different people by the end of the year. And we track that throughout the year. The way that worked is we um, had people, you know, obviously in missional communities who would meet every week and the missional community leader we just say, hey, has anybody had a gospel conversation this week? And, you know, some weeks you might have two or three raise their hands. Some weeks you might have 10 raise their hands. Some weeks you might not have anybody raise their hand. Whatever the number was, um, the missional community leader would report that um, after they kind of heard the story from those who were sharing, like, oh, yeah, like I shared with, uh, you know, my roommate or whatever else. They would record those, send them in to our missional community director, and then we would just keep up. And then about every... I think it was once a month, Duke, we would just update that. We had like a little graph um, that was just like updated where you could like see the graph rising where it's like, okay, in February, we've had 200 gospel conversations or whatever. And then the next was like 400 or, and it would just kind of keep climbing. And um, eventually, yeah, I think right before, I think it was probably a week before Christmas, we hit the thousand gospel conversation mark. And what was really cool, and we didn't even expect this, we didn't even make it a go, but we had more baptisms that year than any year we've ever existed. And kind of by a long shot, I, th- I think um, in 2000, I think the most baptisms we'd had in a year up to that point was 12. And the year that we did the, the thousand gospel conversations, we had 21 baptisms. And so, awesome. um, yeah, man, it was just, and again, that wasn't something we necessarily were even aiming for. We were just trying to get our people to be obedient and sharing their faith. So, um, yeah, you, know, you awesome. talked about, you, you talked about like, you know, and I can't remember if we talked about this before the recording started, or maybe you mentioned it while we were recording, but you know, anytime that you put something down like that, of, Hey, we're going to try to aim at having a thousand gospel conversations. People begin to kind of push back and be like, Hey man, isn't this legalistic? Um, like, and, and what we would tell people is, you know, and again, to borrow a line from Dallas Willard, I guess this podcast is brought to you by Dallas Willard. Cause I've mentioned it twice now, but That's we would say, sponsor. you know, we would say grace as opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And so like, like, man, like would anybody here say that this is bad, that we're going to try to make an effort to have a, a gospel conversation with a thousand people? They'd be like, well, absolutely not. So, okay. Like, well, that's all we're saying is let's make an effort toward this. No one's telling you that by doing this, God's going to love you more. And no one is saying to you that if you don't do it, God's going to love you less. Like that's not, we've not said that one single time. Um, that's what legalism is. And we're not saying that we're just saying like, man, let's like give ourselves to something worthwhile. And, you know, the, the truth is, like, we do this in all of life. I mean, we set goals for what's important. And that's just what we tell people. is like, look, like, you set goals all the time, whether it's, we use, we use the example of losing weight earlier or trying to bench more or get this much in your bank account or be able to go on a vacation or whatever it may be or get your kids out of the house and into college. We always set goals for what matters. So we're like, this 
has eternal significance. We're going to set a goal. And if you don't reach it, if you're not a person who's able to have a gospel conversation, like you're still a part of this family and you're still loved by us and you're loved by God. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Let's, let's transition there as we kind of close up here. Like let's talk about just a few of the dangers of, of measurement. So you talked about the potential for legalism. I love how you just, you described that this in fact isn't legalism on its, on the face of it, just to begin to track something. Uh, what, what are some of the other dangers we might run into as we begin to, to track things along the mission? Well, I think it's going to be different for everyone. I think for us, at least, and for me personally, Duke, like I can become somewhat rigid or just not open to interruptions. I can become kind of just, you know, I get, I kind of put on the blinders, right? I get the tunnel vision and it's like, man, we've, we've set this goal. We've got to get this goal. We've got to reach it. And, um, I think you just have to be real careful. I think it's important to set those numbers, but then just be open to the fact that there are times where the Holy Spirit might want to do something different than that. And he, and he might lead you a different way. And so like, just be open to those interruptions, to those promptings. Um, I think another danger is we can become a little obsessed with numbers. And um, obviously our culture thinks bigger is better. And, you know, um, that more is always better. And I think we just have to be really careful not to if we hit the numbers, become conceited and fall into pride and be like, Hey, look what we did. Right. Like, aren't we amazing leaders? Um, and I think if you don't hit the numbers, you gotta be careful not to fall into despair and to beat yourself up and be like, man, like dude, that guy at the crossing, like they said a thousand gospel conversations and not only did they hit it, they had more baptisms than ever. And I mean, crap, like dude, we only had 800 and we didn't have more baptisms. And I think, and there is a pitfall there to where you set the number and you don't reach it. And I think that's why Community is so important, and it's why we have to be hit with wave after wave after wave of the gospel and be reminded that, man, we really are not loved anymore by what we do, um, but, man, we're loved perfectly because of what Christ has done for us. And so I don't know about for others, Duke, but that that would definitely, I would say, those were some dangers for me and have been and continue to be for me because, honestly, like we're still we're still doing that. Uh, matter of fact, I just came out of a meeting right before I came into this podcast. It was our staff meeting, and we've set a go to have 231 baptisms by 2031. And um, it's kind of a 10-year go. And we know that we're not over those baptisms, like at the end of the day, like God's got to do the work. But we're doing that because it's a 10-year go that will allow us to set a three-year go, which will allow us to kind of set these kind of 90-day rocks that we try to you know work towards moving as a staff throughout the years. And um, those are just going to have to continually be things I have to remind myself of, of like, okay, like be open to change. Like don't get too obsessed with the number. And if you hit it, you're not as amazing as you think you are. And if you don't hit it, like, bro, you're still loved and you're still mm. like cared for. And so, yeah. um, those would definitely be the dangers that persist. In yeah. My life. No, that's huge, man. Yeah. I was, as you were talking about comparison, it seems like that threat is there almost no matter what, you know, even if we're, we're whether measuring things or not measuring things, there's a tendency to, you know, see ourselves as better than others, uh, based on whatever internal scorecard we have or feel insecure if we feel like we're not measuring up to what we're seeing others do. And so the gospel is good news for people who are uh, doing well and good news for people who are doing poorly. And um, yeah, I just love, love that. We'll have to keep, you know, preaching the gospel to ourselves and to our people regardless, uh, you know, because we live in that, 
I think Jeff Trolte kind of calls it the ladder of shame. I don't know if you've ever seen his ladder of shame, but it's like if we have a shame-based culture, we're a, we're a couple rungs above others looking down on people or a couple rungs lower on the ladder looking up at people better than us. We live in this totally, man. culture of comparison and shame versus really just grace that says, man, we get to participate with Jesus on his mission. You know, we get to do something that really matters in the world, which is help people be reconciled to God, to enjoy him forever. That's what human beings were created for. And we get to go and and play a meaningful role in that. Um, and, and you know what? We're loved whether we do or we don't. But man, isn't it fun to join God in his work? Isn't it fun to join him in his mission? And I think I think that kind of cheerleading, you know, where you you, you set all of this in the context of the gospel, in the context of of love uh, is, is really, really huge. And, and I might even close with, with that illustration. And you're bringing this episode by Dallas Willard. I'm bringing it by Jeff Schulte. But uh, Jeff Schulte with 10 Man Ministries, he, he really shared something with me that it was pretty profound about human performance. But he said, you know, they, at the Olympics training facility, which he does a lot of training with, you know, the mental, emotional side of athletes trying to get to peak performance and has worked with some athletes at the Olympic Training Center in, in uh, Colorado Springs. But he, he said they studied it. Like, the, the you know, scientists wanted to know and understand human performance, you know, and the Olympics is a great way to do it because it's got all this, uni- you know, international sample size. you got all these variables you can measure and whatnot. But at any rate, they found that if you use shame and driving people through, you know, fear, failure, and shame, and those kinds of things, that you can get something like 98% of someone's optimal performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the only way to get that last 2% was love, Uh, was actually an environment where, hey, even if you don't get gold, where you're going to be loved anyway. And something about that freedom to fail it unlocks the last little bit of <laughs> fruitfulness and performance. And so I just think that's beautiful. I think it's, I think it's wired. It makes sense. You know, it's wired into the, into who we are as image bearers who are made by a loving God to be loved and yet to go out, like you said, and give great effort, you know, in the kingdom. And man, I just, I love what you're leading in, Jared. I love that you're trying to say, Hey guys, let's go out and stretch ourselves into this mission of God. You know, let's get 231 baptisms by 2031. Let's go for it. Not because we have to, not because God's going to love us anymore, but because we get to, and it matters. And it matters for those 231, you know, a big time. And, and, and it matters that we're giving our lives to something that's a lot better than, you know, a TikTok video or arguing with people about politics online. Like this matters, you know, and this is going to result in, God's pleasure and his fame. And so, yeah, I love that, that even as a church, as you guys are getting older, man, you're keeping, you know, the focus on the great commission, you're keeping people in the game. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage and commend you brother for continuing to, to lead out in that be an example uh, for, for some of us out here. Well, I appreciate it, man. I mean, that shame that you're talking about, it's real. And I think that a lot of times that's what keeps us from wanting to set goals because we're so afraid to fail. Cause it's like, man, I would rather, I would rather not set a goal and at least then like, you know, I can say like, oh, well, hey, we're doing fine. And, you know, like we're reaching our goals and actually set a goal as a God sized goal and then not make it because what shame tells us is that, man, like we should have done better. We should have done more. Like, man, we're not enough. And so um, everything you just said, I just want to amen over and over again. And I love what you said, that the gospel frees us up to kind of run after these kind of big and audacious goals. And what I would just say to, um, and I wasn't planning to say this, but 
I think it's important to hear for someone who maybe is um, listening to this and, and either you set goals and you didn't reach them or you're going to listen to this podcast and go set some massive goals and maybe not reach them or even worse, maybe you're going to set the goal and reach it. And I just want you to know like those goals are never meant to be a substitute for God. Like they're not going to give you what only Christ can give you. And so take it from a guy who has hit goals. Um, the bar tends to raise and, 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 I just want to encourage you in the words of Christ. I think about whenever he sent out the 72 and they come back and they say, man, Jesus, even the demons were obeying us. Like, it's amazing. Like we were, you know, doing all this great stuff. And, and it's so bizarre. Jesus responds by saying, hey, don't rejoice in the fact that you saw this stuff happen in the ministry. Rejoice in the fact your name is written in the book of life. And I just want to say to like you who's listening to this right now, I don't know who you are, but I want you to just take time, just a moment wherever you are, And just think about the day whenever you stand before God and you hear Him read out your name from the book of life. Like, that's going to happen someday for you, man, or ma'am. And 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 that's got to be the motivating factor behind why we do what we do. And then, like, listen, just know, like, if you don't hit that goal, your name hasn't been erased from the book. And if you do hit the goal, like, it's still not going to give you what only Jesus can give you. And so, um, yeah, let's run after these things. Let's go after it and let's be willing to fail forward or in the words of Chuck Schwinn, suck forward and know that none of that stuff defines us. But man, what a great thing to give our lives to, right? It's all about Jesus, love it. He's changed our lives. That's what it's about. That's huge, man. I love the relate. I love you wrapping this up on a relational note to say, man, just being a part of God's family is the win. <laughs> I mean, we could talk yeah. about what we do, but it's always what Jesus has done to adopt us and to bring us close that is actually the win. And so that's the ultimate scoreboard. That's the thing that Jesus put on a scoreboard above, above everything else. And so I love, love the way you, you brought that back. Uh, leaders, if you're listening, I just want to encourage you, maybe take something from this podcast, something that's you can do this month, perhaps, right? If you don't have metrics, maybe create your first draft of metrics. They may not be the right ones. You don't have to put undue pressure on yourself, but maybe determine some things that you're going to start to measure. And then uh, as you go along, you know, maybe amend those things with, with your team or with others to get closer and closer into the thing that you feel is both theologically aligned with what God has said, aligned with why your organization exists, and uh, fruitful to see more fruit and and don't be afraid to measure I, I love what jared you said there about shame and that might keep us from this whole conversation right because we just don't want to look at a school card that says we, we lost uh but but yeah have the courage to press out into jared what you said on the front like the things that we monitor we can improve you know and we can get more clarity about being more fruitful because that's only what it's about is more more disciples made more uh more people reached and and christ fame uh, increasing on the earth and so that's what we're all about and that and measure can do that uh longer term you might look at you know your one two three year uh goals and metrics of where, where you want to see the thing go and make longer term plans related to what you measure and why. But uh, yeah, hopefully today was encouraging to you along that front. Uh, Also just want to remind you about uh, the Saturate blog. So we're putting out content every week in the blog. You can sign up for the newsletter, which really keeps you in the loop on all things that Saturate's doing. A lot of exciting things happening. Uh, We're launching a ton of new content this year into the Saturate membership. We'll be telling you what's coming there. And uh, there's just a lot going on here. Even at Lent, there's a new Lent guide uh, that's available that can walk you through just how to continue to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus as you worship in this season. 
and as you continue to navigate uh, COVID and, and the change of plans that that's been. So uh, thanks for listening today, guys. Uh, Jared, thank you for being here. Uh, I knew it was going to be uh, a blessing. It certainly was. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Justin Hugis. Saturate is committed to gospel saturation in North America and beyond until every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders discussing how Jesus is better, his church is more, and his mission is every day. Learn more and activate your Saturate membership at saturatetheworld.com.